have you imagine, if you will, that you are standing bedside by someone that you love. You, you've loved them for a long time. You care about them deeply. And they're sick. They're, the doctors don't give them much hope. There's not much that you can put stock in that they're going to live very long. And you're you know, praying and believing and hoping with all hope that, that they're going to make it. And that they're going to live and live a long time and be healthy and not sick and not die. And someone that you know, someone that you respect comes to pray and to visit with you and the family or the friends that are there. And they pray a prayer something like this. They pray, God, we thank you for this person that has lived this incredible life. And God, we we thank you for the family that's represented, the friends that are represented. And God, now we just pray that you would heal you know, so-and-so here, that, 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 that they would live and not die. And God, we're believing, but ultimately, Lord, we know that it's your will. We know that, that if you want them to pass, they're going to pass. And, and, and Lord, if now's the time for them to die, then we give them over to your hands and we just say, God, thank you for the time we have spent with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How would you feel about a prayer like that? Maybe you've prayed prayers like that. Maybe you've heard people pray prayers like that. What would that say to you about the faith of the person that's praying? I mean, would you think, would you believe that they really did, in the deepest parts of their heart, want this person that lay before you that's sick and maybe is about to die? Would you believe that they really wanted them to be healed? That they wanted them to live? Or would you believe that they had just kind of given up faith and hope and... That they were just praying that so that no matter how this thing turned out, that their prayers would be answered. I've lived that kind of situation. I know some of you in this room have as well. And and, and what it does for me is it really causes us to evaluate prayer. What's the point of prayer? Does prayer matter? Can you pray very specific prayers asking for healing when the reports are bad? And we don't even have to take it really morbid all day long. Can you pray prayers where you really do want something specific? Can you pray, God, I want this job. This job seems perfect for me. I need a job. They've got an opening. It matches my skills. It matches my passions. I love it. God, give me this job. Can you pray that? And then if you do and you don't get the job, what does that mean about your prayer life? What does that mean about God and his sovereignty and his love for you? I mean, we're right in the middle. This is, we're not really in the middle yet. Next week's the middle, but week two of a series on the prayer. This was found in Matthew chapter six. We started it last week and it's a prayer that Jesus really guided his disciples into. It's called the Lord's prayer. Most famously, it's also maybe known in some circles as the disciples prayer, the prayer of the disciples. And it was a prayer that Jesus was setting up and showing his disciples in Really his first large sermon, the first block of text that we can read, but the first words that he spoke and and preached to a a group of people, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in the middle of that, in Matthew chapter 6, he starts with a couple of verses about some other things and then he gets into prayer and he talks about prayer and don't babble like the hypocrites and the religious leaders that want you to think they're so spiritual. And then he says, when you pray, pray like this. 
Some translations say this is then how you should pray. He doesn't give us the specific words that we have to pray every time. It's not meant to be this repetitious, you know, cycle of words that we only pray those words. But it is a a guideline, a framework for how we can pray. It gives us, again, not to make it formulaic or whatever, but it does give us some structure to our prayers. And so last week we looked at the first part of that prayer that says, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. You read that on the screen during the song that was just sung. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we looked at really three things about that phrase that help us as we begin to pray. Our Father, God wants us to pray to him as a personal father, personal relationship connected to us in heaven He has a different perspective than you and I do. He is separated from us, even though there's a personal connection in the father uh, role that he wants us to look to him in. There is a different perspective. And so when we pray, we understand that he may see things differently than we see them. And then we see hallowed be your name. He is meant to be revered and the holiness and the might of who he is and, and what he possesses allows us to know who we're praying to. And so we looked at our father, personal in heaven, different perspective holy, reverent God that we pray to. And that really sets up how we pray because we know who we're praying to. That's really what we said last week. When you know who it's to, you know the what and the how. When you know who it's to, you know the what and the how. And that's important for us because if you're making a presentation at work, it's important to know who you're presenting to. You're presenting to the finance guy. It doesn't matter if you've got the greatest widget in the world that you've built. He wants to know how much it's going to cost to make, right? Because you know who it's to, now you know what to present him. You still present similar information, but the perspective, the the, the context by which you present, it's different. I told you, my kids, they go to my wife when they want a yes, no matter what they're asking. They come to me, it's going to be no. I don't even know what they're asking. No, you can't do it. You cannot, it's going to burn the house down. I don't even know what you're doing, but you're holding a box of matches. You can't do it. Corey's like, oh, you want to light a birthday cake? Sure, absolutely. She hears them out and there's a yes. So they know who it's to, they know what and the how. And so as we continue looking at this prayer today, we are looking at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. It's the next part of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I read this, when I look at this, I'm going to keep moving this stool until I get it where I want it. I've just moved it about nine times. When I, when I look at this, my mind immediately gravitates to the kingdoms of this world. You know, there's, there's some kingdoms, there's some dynasties, there's some uh, empires that have been created throughout the earth. Um, the Persian Empire, which kind of raised up, rose up in 653 B.C., the beginning of the Roman Empire with the death of Julius Caesar in 44 B.C., the Ming Dynasty of the 13 and 1400s. I see the, the power and the, the agenda of Adolf Hitler in the 1930s and 1940s and what his plan was to really expand that, that empire. And then I see even the, the United States of America that we live in today. I don't think all those things are on par with one another. I don't think they're all the same. But I do see in those kinds of things, I see, I see kingdom. I see building, expanding, finding more territory, getting more people Getting people to believe in the empire, the kingdom, the rule and the reign of whoever's in charge. And we're going to expand that kingdom. And so when I see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's easy for me to understand that a people that Jesus was teaching in that day. And I've said this a lot, so this is not new for some of you if you've been here a while. Most of the people that would listen to the teachings of Jesus thought that Jesus was coming to get them out of the oppression of Rome. We reference Rome here, the Roman Empire. 
these people, God's people, were under the impression of Rome. And so they were, they, were, they were slaves, some of them. They were very oppressed. They had no rights other than what the government gave to them. And so a lot of these people, they see Jesus as the coming king to sit on the throne of David. And they look at that and go, okay, you're coming to overthrow the government that we are oppressed by. And so when Jesus is praying this prayer, telling them this is how you should pray... I think that their mind probably went to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're thinking kingdom. You're setting up a kingdom. I want to be a citizen of your kingdom. I'm aligning myself with you. Many of the followers of Jesus followed Jesus because they thought he was the the king that was going to set up his throne right then. And we see that when Jesus was actually arrested and brought to the cross, that's why many of his disciples left. Because they saw, whoa, wait a minute. If you don't have enough power to defend yourself, I'm not staying aligned with you. And so we see this kingdom mentality, this kingdom motif. We see in our present day, if you've been watching the news at all over the coming, the, the recent weeks, we see the chemical weapons going on, this, this civil war situation. And we see the United States and Russia and China and Israel. And we see the global landscape and how it's being formed and the allies are working together or wondering who is an ally and who, which side are you going to take. And there, there, there seemed for a, a period of hours to look like maybe we would invade or other people would invade and we would partner with them. Or someone would defend and we would be against those that are defending. And I mean, we, it, 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 was, it was scary stuff depending on, on what you were looking at, what you were reading. It's still not out of the woods. I mean, there's some, there's some negotiations and there's things going on. But we see that in this world we're on the brink of... People fighting with one another. Why? To institute what they believe or what we believe to be basic human rights. Or to expand territories. To expand kingdoms. To expand places that we have someone who rules and reigns there. And their agenda is to make that larger. Or to solidify the sovereignty of that place. But when Jesus was talking here. When he was teaching how to pray. He was saying, your kingdom... This was not necessarily what he was referring to. The images that I've painted for you is not what Jesus was saying. So I want us to define the word kingdom really quick so that we're all on the same page. The word kingdom in in the Greek, which is the word that's going to be to the right of the word kingdom there, that's a funky bunch of letters that that you and I, if we look at that, unless you're just really fluent in Greek, which I'm not, you look at that and go, what? That looks like... Boa constrictor. Now, boa yea or something, right? The, the, the pronunciation of that would be bossilia. Okay, bossilia. And so this, the, the, the definition here, this is the actual use of the phrase that Jesus used. There is royal power, kingship, dominion, rule. It's not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. And it was used in the New Testament. This phrase was used in the New Testament to refer to the reign of the Messiah. We're talking about Messiah. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And so this word, this phrase that Jesus uses here is not... Think. Here's how to differentiate it in your head. This is at least what helped me, and I'm very simple-minded. Don't think land. Think about the authority of the ruler. So you're not thinking kingdom, a piece of land. You're not thinking I'm establishing and expanding the territory that I control. Think about the authority of the one who rules and reigns over that place. And so when Jesus is looking at, when he's, when he's referencing this, it's really important to understand that this is different than the empires and the dynasties of history. This is talking about the rule and the reign, the authority of Jesus to rule. The authority of God over the earth. So 
when you pray, our God in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your authority and rule and reign come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So not your kingdom, establish the throne, establish the place, overthrow all the other governments, but your authority, your rule, your reign. That's a really, really big deal. And then he takes it one step further when he says, your will be done. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Will is defined, and again, you got all kinds of funky letters. That's like a zero with a line through it. I'm not even sure what that means. But this is how, what that, that, that word is pr- uh, pronounced. Thelema. Thelema is that word there. And here's the definition. What one wishes or has determined shall be done of the purpose of God to bless mankind through Christ. So if you have a will, right? You are expressing your desire for how your... Your property, your assets are differentiated, are split up between your, your family or anybody that you wanted to give. It's your will, it's your desire how those things would be split up. And so you're saying here, I have a will, I have a wish or a desire of how this shall be done when I'm gone. So you are preemptively setting up something that is to come, right? Because you're putting on paper and saying, here's how I want things to go. This is my will, Right. This is very similar to what Jesus is referencing here. But even beyond that, there's the greater eternal idea of this word that says the purpose of God to bless mankind through Christ. So let's put all together what we've got so far. Our father, when you pray, pray like this. Our father, personal God in heaven, different perspective. Holy are you. My understanding of your holiness and I I reverence you for that. Your rule and reign. Right. Your desire for what shall be on earth here as it already is in heaven. So your authority, your right to rule and to reign is already there in heaven. You created the earth, God, I'm talking to you now. God, you created the earth and you allowed the earth and the people on the earth to have uh, the ability to rule and reign over the earth. He even established Adam when he created Adam to, to, to hold those things under subjection and to name the animals and to you know, plant the crops and pull the crops up and do all these incredible things. So he gave, he gave him dominion over the earth. But ultimately, that was a temporary plan because the ultimate rule of authority, the ultimate reigning that would take place is God here on earth. And so he's saying, as it already is in heaven, you already rule and reign in heaven. Let that happen here on earth. Not just that, but the desires, the will that you have for the future, let that happen on earth. It's already happening in heaven, right? Because we look at heaven and we understand, and we talked about this last week, heaven is, God is, is outside of the scope of time. So where you and I are constricted, we, we're constricted by time and space. God is not constricted in those ways. And so the will of God to purpose in his mind what is to come, that's already taking place in heaven. But for you and I on earth to realize that, we pray this prayer. God, let your desire for what's to come take place on earth. And so we're talking about a lot of things here, which I think can be really confusing. I don't know about you, but I mean, even even wrestling with it this week, these were not new concepts for me, new ideas. And I even set it up to talk about the fact that I've prayed prayers like I talked about in this opening story, I've had people pray those prayers. I've referenced it before. I'm not going to get into the whole story, but my mom got sick and she had cancer and she battled for a couple of years and then she passed away. And man, we couldn't have prayed anymore for God to heal her. 
We couldn't, I mean, it would have been impossible to pray more prayers than we prayed and to have more people praying for her healing. And ultimately she passed away. And so trying to understand and wrap my mind around, so what does that even mean? What does that mean about prayer? What does it mean about God? What does it mean about me, my role in this? And so I want us to jump and look at another character. This is not going to be on the screen, this part. We'll come back to something else in just a second. But there was a guy in the days of Jesus. Jesus was walking the earth, and there was a guy named John the Baptist, right? He wasn't an actual Baptist. He was baptizing people. That was funnier than you gave it credit for. But, <laughs> but um, John the Baptist was on the earth in the days of Jesus. And so John was a guy who came... The Bible says proclaiming the good news about Jesus. He, 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 kinda, he was doing ministry a little bit ahead of Jesus. And he was declaring that Jesus was coming to do ministry on earth. And he declared, and this is in Matthew chapter 3. He declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so this is what he's saying. Jesus would use that same phrase a bunch throughout his ministry. In fact, Jesus would use the word kingdom just in the book of Matthew 54 times. Talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom being at hand. And so John sets us up in Matthew chapter 3 and Jesus continues it in the book of Matthew and then throughout some of the other gospels to this idea of kingdom. But John references that Repent, he's talking to the people, repent, turn from your wicked ways, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right in front of you. Now, you and I, and we've talked about this in recent weeks, you and I get the ability, we have the incredible fortune to read that verse and to understand that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. He would eventually go to the cross, he would declare to the Father that his work was finished, and we would see this New Testament church be birthed because of the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. These people, by and large, did not have that same understanding. And so if they're standing there, imagine if you can throw out everything in your head that you've ever heard about Jesus and listen to the words of a crazy man wearing camel hair and eating locusts, all right, in the middle of the desert, as he screams, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is right in front of you. I would think the man was out of his mind, which many people did. But then Jesus shows up, John baptizes Jesus in water. God, by his presence, comes out, when Jesus is coming out of the water, kind of sends a dove and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The voice of God speaking, affirming the call and the identity of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus goes about his ministry. And in the book of Matthew, we have recorded that he used the same phrases about kingdom and kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, 54 times. And so, if you're trying to piece this together, looking back, it's easy to go, okay, John was declaring it, Jesus was the fulfillment of that, and he was telling us what was to come. Except, remember, they're saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right in front of you, not it is to come. Not it shall be done at some point in the future. And so this principle is something Pastor Mark uses this phrase all, all the time. He's our senior pastor of both Mount Perrin North locations. He speaks here uh, every few weeks. But he uses this phrase all the time. It's not, uh, it's not unique to him. He probably stole it from a book. If not, I did. But here's what that principle is called. The now but not yet reality. So what Jesus was saying, what John was saying, is, is this principle. The kingdom of God is now but not yet. It is now. It doesn't change the reality that the kingdom of God is now because Jesus came on the earth and he made available to every person the ability to repent, turn from their wicked ways, 
He, he made the ability for them to th- believe in his, in his life and death and resurrection, to believe in the good news of the gospel. And so through that, they have the ability, including you and I, to receive and be in relationship with God, the coming ruler of the kingdom. But you and I have the ability now, even though the full realization of the kingdom is yet to come, we have the ability to live as if the kingdom is now. It doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and we believe something that's not reality or not true. It does mean that you and I have the ability through faith, through the things not yet seen, which scripture calls faith, the things that we can't see with our eyes, to believe in and live in a kingdom that is not yet fully realized. Now, all this, you should get theology credit for this today, but here's what that looks like. It looks like you standing at the bed of someone you love who doctors have given a bad report to, and you pray in full belief that they will be healed. Why? Because the kingdom that is to come will have no sickness, have no disease. The now part of the reality of the kingdom is that we see that Jesus held the power over sickness and disease, and he proved that he could heal, and so we believe that he can still heal. Not only can he heal because of what we've seen, he can heal because we know that the kingdom that is to come doesn't have sickness or death or disease or suffering or pain. And so I can either hold on to the kingdom that I see now, Jesus and the examples of healing and the testimonies of people, even in present day, who were sick and went to the doctor and they couldn't find what they had seen previously in other scans and other reports. Or we can hold on to the kingdom that is yet to come, which says the kingdom that's coming under the rule and reign of God, we'll have no sickness or disease or pain or suffering. Let's take it away from the morbid again, okay? And we go, okay, I want this job. I need a job. I want the job. And so we've already used that example. And so we pray and believe, God, let me have this job. Please give me this job. That's your desire. That's your prayer. You can hang on to two things. You can hang on to the past example or the coming example where God is your provision. God is your provider, That says, I want that job. That's what I I hope for. I I, I desire to have that. But ultimately, you submit to the idea that in the rule and reign of God, whether it be in the past, the present, or the future, God is the one that provides, whether he chooses to do it through that job or something else. And so ultimately, we are putting ourselves in this kind of prayer conversation with God in the middle of this now but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. But there's a tension there. I mean, even in the examples that I've given you this morning, there's a tension there. I know that. I'm not trying to claim that there's not, you're not wrestling with this idea or that I don't wrestle with this idea. What is prayer? Why do we pray? How, does, how do my desires fit within this conversation with a God who is ultimately responsible for the outcome, who is ultimately the one to, to express his will, and that supersedes even my will? There's a tension there. This tension is best epitomized in a prayer that Jesus prayed very close to the end of his life. It's one of the last places that we have the words of Jesus prior to his capture, his arrest, and then ultimately leading towards his death. It's found in the book of Matthew. We've kind of hung there all day. But in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, beginning in verse 39, this is the words of Jesus as he's praying in the garden. He's taken some of his closest followers. They go to the garden and Jesus is praying there. And we're going to read verse 39 and then verse 42. There's some other conversation that takes place, but this really helps us to see what we're talking about. This is what Jesus said. 
And going, or this is what the Bible said. And going a little farther, he fell. Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, the cup he's talking about here is the cup of suffering, the cup of pain, the cup that would really be kind of poured out for his death on the cross. Let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Same word that was used in the initial prayer that we read in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 42. Again for the second time. So Jesus went away, talked to his disciples, and came back. Again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. What did we see here in the conversation, the prayer between Jesus and the Father? That Jesus had some desires. His ultimate desire in this, not ultimate, his desire in this is that he wouldn't have to drink of this cup. He wouldn't have to experience the suffering of the cross and the death that followed it. But we see that his ultimate desire was to do the will of the Father. Now, I don't know if you're like me at all, okay? I pray to God you're not. But I don't know if when you read this, you go, but that's not fair. That's Jesus, right? I'm not Jesus. So that's not really fair. You can't just use the example of Jesus and expect me to do that because I'm not Jesus. I get that, right? Except that that's completely wrong, okay? So if you've thought that, you're completely wrong. No, I'm completely wrong when I think that because I say that I am a Christian. I say that I am a Christian. The word Christian means little Christ. It means that I follow in the example of Christ. It doesn't mean that I'm going to attain the perfection that he maintained on earth. But it says that I'm going to look at the ways that he lived. I'm going to look at the things that he did. And I'm going to attempt to follow those examples in the way that I live. And so you don't have to pray this exact same prayer that Jesus prayed here in the garden. You don't have to pray the exact same words that he taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. But we do have to submit our prayers with an understanding of who we're praying to and really what we're praying, what we're doing. We get the opportunity to petition God with our desires, to present to God anything and everything that we want. First John tells us that we can petition. We can bring our desires boldly to him. There are other places, just in the Gospels, I think it's Mark chapter 11, that talk about that anything we pray, if we believe, we can have. Now, it's in a broader kind of understanding, a broader conversation that Jesus is talking there. But really what we're looking at is that God wants us to express our ultimate desires. This is, not a, this is not a naysayer kind of thing that says, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you pray. It doesn't matter what you say because none of it's going to happen anyway. It's really that prayer is me coming into alignment with the will of the Father. And it's not that hard if I am pursuing a relationship with the Father. As I pursue relationship with God, as I try to understand God in a, in a greater way as I try to reflect his son and the way that Jesus lived on earth and I become this little Christ where I'm pursuing and following after his ways and his teachings and following his examples, the more and more and more I do that, it reshapes my character, it reshapes my nature and it begins to reshape my desires. Now, I don't think that means you're never going to pray that someone you know who's sick and dying would be healed and live. But can I tell you something? And this was a huge realization for me. You've probably already figured it out. Even if God heals them then, they're probably going to die down the road of something else. 
We're all, right? We're, we're all, we're not immortal, we're mortal beings. And so, depending on what you believe about the things that are to come, if Jesus doesn't come back before that, we're all going to die. Healing, and I've said this again, I don't want to repeat myself all day long, but I mean, every person Jesus ever healed died of something else eventually, right? Because his healing of them in that specific moment was not about them. It was about his power to heal sickness, his power to heal disease, his power to raise people from the dead. And so it wasn't about the people that that he healed. It was about him demonstrating the power that God had authorized him to have. And he still has that same power. So we pray and we believe because we see that he, he does those things and he does it for his glory, not the person that's being healed. It means that if we want a job or we need something in our life or we're looking for a new house or we want our kids to get into a better school or we have some other need or some other thing, we present that to God because we ultimately know we're praying to him because he is our provider. He's the one that provides for us. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a lamp. He's not any of those things. He is our ultimate provision. And so we're praying, God, you know I have need of these things. You know also beyond just need, I have these desires. You created me. And when you created me, you gave me the ability to have these desires. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wanting these things. I'm needing these things for me or for my family or for those I love. And so out of that, we express those things to God. And then I believe... At some point, whether it just be an expression of our heart in a really genuine way, or we actually say these words. And if you haven't done this, I would encourage you to start by saying these words to help reshape your character, your nature. You pray what Jesus prayed. He said, here's my desire, but ultimately I give my desire over to your desire. I have a will. I have a, a, a way that I want things to turn out. But ultimately, I put those things and I present them to you, understanding that your will and your desire is greater than my will and my desire. I'm going to ask the band to come. Here's what it looks like in a, in a really just contrite phrase. When I don't want to, I will because it's your will. I mean, that's what you're praying. God, when I don't want to, I will because it's your will. Now, why am I kind of staying and hanging on the negative? Because it's real easy to pray when you know you're praying the will of God and you know you're praying the things that God desires to do in you. But so ultimately I'm saying, even if I want to, I will because I know it's your will. But I give my desires, my will over to you because it's your will. I want the things that are in heaven to take place on earth. Because if I attempt to set up the things on earth that I want, I know that all of those things, according to Scripture, will pass away. The earth will pass away. Everything that's established on the earth, every empire, every dynasty, every nation, every kingdom, every ruler, everything that's related to finances, everything that you and I are building up will pass away. But we understand, according to God's word, That the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God is forever. That's not a figurative phrase there. It's literal. It will last forever. And so as you and I pray, we pray to God, when I don't want to, I will. Because it's your will. It's your will that I desire. It's your will that I want. 
I want your will to supersede, to be bigger than my will. And so I give to you my desires. I express those things in prayer to my Father who is in heaven and who is holy and I reverence Him. But out of that, I say, I, I want your kingdom, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The things that are happening in heaven, God, where you rule and reign supremely, and where you are the one who sets the course of what you desire to happen, I want those things to happen here on earth. And so I become someone who prays those things. I seek your will. I seek your ways. I seek your desires. And let me just give you some good news today. You're going to wrestle with this all your life. You never get there. There's no finish line to this. But in understanding that this is a wrestling match, this is an ongoing relationship and conversation piece with God, then it tells me that I need to begin working on this now. I don't need to wait. I don't need to go, well, I'll I'll get to that. That's kind of down the road in my spiritual walk, my spiritual growth. No, this is like a foundational piece. This is kind of where we start. Because the longer that you walk with God, the longer that I walk with God, the more I get into situations where I want what I want more than I want what He wants. But if I have decided ahead of time that I want what He wants more than I want what I want, it changes everything. And so I'm able to say, I don't want to, but I will. Because it's your will that I want. Right? I don't want to, but I will because it's your will that I want. I don't want to, but I will because it's your will that I want. Right? I mean, that, that's it. If we were to break it down, this is not even about prayer. This is about a relationship with God. This is the foundational piece right here. Do I trust God enough To seek what he wants for me. Do I trust God enough. To want what he wants. Do I trust him enough. And here's what I know. I know God loves me. I know God loves you. But I know that there are some things. That I'm going to pray for. That may not come to be like I want them to be. I mean it's. Just the way it is. And I also understand that sometimes when I think I know how it should be, I don't really know how it should be. And when I pray because I think that I know how it should be and it doesn't happen like I want it to be, I think that God messed up or that God let me down. And what that exposes in me is that I still haven't gotten to the place where I want what God wants more than I want what I want. It's hard doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you struggle with these things. doesn't mean you're not a good person. It means you're human. I reference them all the time. I don't think I would have preaching material without my kids, but my wife and I have four kids. I can't tell you the number of times in a the day they want something and they ask me for it. And I'm joking. I don't always say no. I really don't. I mean, that was kind of a joke, but there are times I have to tell them no. I would be a horrible parent if I gave them everything they wanted. Right? 
Because there are some things that I understand that they don't yet. I don't attempt to put myself in a position that I'm like God, except that I'm a father and God is my father. And so if I'm willing to position myself as the son of God, then I have to think through the lens of my son who wants something. But I know it's not in his best interest to give it at this point. He may get it down the road, but I know today's not the day. He may never get it because I know he doesn't need it or it doesn't ultimately serve the purpose that I have been given as his father to develop in him what he is to be. You don't have to go too far to make that metaphor work. I'm a child of God seeking from my father the things that I want. And there are times that my father will say no. And there are times that my father will say wait. And there are times that my father will say yes. Here. But what my kids don't really understand yet, and I didn't understand it as a child, and what I don't really understand as a child of God talking to my father, is that if I ever got to the place where I wanted what he wanted more than I wanted what I wanted, my prayers would always be answered. My desires would always be fulfilled. Because I want what he wants more than I want what I want. Because I don't want to, but I will. Because your will is what I want. It's hard. It's really hard. I don't know that you ever get to the place, you ever get to the finish line where you never struggle with that, where you never wrestle with that. But now you've got language for it. And so I encourage you, the next time you pray and you want something specific from God, just lay it out there. God, here's what I want. Here's my desire. Let this cup pass from me. Let me get this job. Don't let me get this. Let me find my spouse. God, now, yesterday, a month ago, let me find them. Let my kids be better kids. Let me be a better husband. Let me be a better wife. Let me get a better house. Let me get a better job. Let me, whatever it is. Let this person that is sick that I love be healed. Whatever it is, lay it out there. He wants to hear it. He's your father. He wants to know. But find a way, not just with your lips, but with your heart. Wrestle with it. I mean, just get on the ground and, 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 and struggle with it until you get to the place where you can say, I don't want to, but I will because your will is what I want. I want what you want more than I want what I want. Father. Prayer is hard. But prayer is amazing. Because I get the opportunity to pray, to talk to my Father. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. God, every one of us this morning in this place, we, we want some things got some things in our lives that we desire 
And so, God, my prayer today for every one of us is that we would learn to and feel the freedom to express to you our desires and our hopes. And I know that there are people in this room this morning who have some really specific things they need from you. And so, God, now in this moment, I I pray that they would begin. They wouldn't just wait until I finish, but they would begin now saying those things to you. Whatever it is they have need of, jobs, finances, relational needs, health needs for themselves, for someone that know, that they would, they would just pour those things out to you. And that God, they would take those things and then resolve to put them into the hands of a God, a father that loves them and wants the best for them. And they would submit, I would submit to your will to your kingdom, to your right to rule and reign in the earth. So God, now I pray for every person in this room, including myself, that we would pray bold prayers, we would express our desires and our hope, but that those things with our mouths would be superseded by our heart that is submitted to you, that in this now but not yet reality of your kingdom that we would know that when we seek the things that you desire we win we win God help us to want what you want more than we want what we want in Jesus name we pray Amen